feels like we're fetishized in that way. Um, but like, you know, and people speaking about like wanting to have biracial children because they're cute or whatever. Like, I just, I just don't like any of that. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Men Fan Favorite Girl Talk. I am very excited to be doing this episode because I've been wanting to get, um, I've been doing a lot of my own anti-racism work and looking at how, um, whether I'm including different voices as in, you know, Black people of color, indigenous voices on my podcast. I've had an abysmal record so far, so I'm working to rectify that. And as part of that, um, yeah, we're talking about dating and race today. So I would love to welcome to the podcast Ivy, Amber, and Nina. Thank you so much for being here. Yay! Thank you. Excited to be here. Excited to be here. Yay. Um, so, all right. So we'll start out like we normally do for girl talk. So just go around and we'll just say our names, our rough ages, relationship status, zero to 10, because it's not binary. And, um, and just one show that you've loved lately. One thing that you've been obsessed with when it comes to entertainment. And, uh, maybe we could start with Amber. Sure. So my name is Amber. I am in my late 30s. I am in a relationship. I would put my status around an eight. Uh, just moved in with with the boyfriend last weekend. Hey. And yay. <laughs> um, and yeah, we are spending a lot of time together during shelter in place, which has been which has been really great. Um, the last show that I got pretty into was Humans on Amazon Prime. Um it's not amazing, but it's definitely, it's, it's interesting. It's good. I enjoyed it. Rousing endorsement quote. It's not amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like one of those ones you want to tell everyone about like, Oh my God, watch this now. Right. It's like, it's like, you know, the equivalent of like a page Turner book that like, sure. you know, keeps you engaged. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, hi, my name is Nina. I'm 40. Um, my relationship status is probably a two. I'm totally single, but you know, there's still some lingering folks out there. Um, so some people that I like still am dating sort of, I guess in quarantine. Um, so yeah, a two. And, um, most recently I was into billions. I'm really sad that they had to take a mid season break. Um, but yeah, I can't wait for it to come back. (laughs) Awesome. That's the Paul Giamatti one, right? Yes. Yeah. I met him. Met is a strong word. I mean, I, I kind of met him in New York City. So nice. he's one of the few celebs I ever met there. <laughs> Ivy. Hello, ladies. Uh, I am Ivy. Um, my age range is, ooh, do I want to say that? I, I heard a quote once, a woman who will tell her age will tell anything. So... <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I'm well over 40. How about that? Uh, um, uh, Relationship number. Mm, When I first heard that, my thought was I'm happy. I didn't come up with a number. Um, But uh, I guess one, I'm single and happy, I guess. A show that I would like or I'm watching or binging. I just finished all of Stranger Things and just now starting Sherlock, which I am loving. I loved both. I think equally good for different, very different reasons. Uh, The first was pretty nostalgic. If you like 80s and 90s horror and old school stuff, it's all about growing up in that genre. And Sherlock is just intellectually stimulating. It's a fabulous show. I'm really enjoying it. Everybody has a British accent, so. That's hot. I was obsessed with that show. I, I like <laughs> I like made other people watch it again with me. I was obsessed. <laughs> so I feel you. And lots of interesting yeah. things happen. We'll have to talk about the last season. Okay, yeah. we're quite along because we have lots of talk to talk about today. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so I've got some questions for you all, and I just want to say 
at the beginning that I want to name that I'm a white woman and I'm working to excavate unconscious bias in myself. So I'm open to feedback around this topic. If I say or imply something problematic, I'd like to be corrected. And that's true either on the podcast or after the podcast. I just want to say that aloud. And um, with that, uh, let's start with the first question. So my first question for each of you ladies, and maybe we can just go around uh, organically. Uh, my first question is, do you have a preference in terms of the race of men that you date, uh, have sex with, get into relationships with, that kind of thing? Uh, this is Amber. I, I'll start again. <laughs> um, so I, I'm mixed race. I'm, I'm half white and half black and uh, grew up mostly with, with my mom's side, which is the white side of my family. And I have found that I, I definitely do not have one particular preference, um, but I've actually only dated white and black men, um, which is interesting because that's my background. Um, sorry, that's not true. I've only had serious relationships with white and black men. I have dated um, other races as well, so Latino and um, Indian uh, but no strong preference. I, I, in thinking about this episode, I did realize that I always kind of thought that I may end up in a biracial relationship, um, which I think is interesting because I think it, it's reflective of the fact that you kind of tend to um, tend to go towards what you know. Um, my current boyfriend uh, is is black. He's actually from from Africa and moved to the U.S. when he was about nineteen. Thank you. Okay. Um, hi, it's Nina. I, um, so I am mixed race also. I'm biracial. I am Italian and black. Um, and I grew up um, mostly more around my father's family because my mother's family disowned her for marrying my father. Um, oh, and can you so- tell us which, which race each uh, parent was? Oh, my mother was Italian, um, like from Italy, came here as a kid um, and grew up in a family with three brothers and very traditional Italian and met my dad at work and they got married and I didn't meet um, any of my family on that side until um, my mother died of cancer. And so um, I met my grandparents right before that when we started seeing them. Um, They spoke to her when she was sick and then... um, when she died, they came to the funeral and that's when we met all of that side of the family. Um, that said, I now do speak to that side of the family, but anyway, that's a whole other podcast. So, yeah, um, real. <laughs> so, um, that podcast. I don't know what happens on that podcast. <laughs> um, but dating wise, I have, um, all of my serious relationships have been with black men. Um, most of my dating has been with black men. It's very rare that I, I mean, I've gone out with, um, a couple of guys who weren't black here and there, but, um, never anything that, that lasted or anything. Um, I just don't generally feel like other men approach me. So I feel like I'm approached by black men, you know, for the majority of the time. Got it. Yeah. Plus one to that experience. Thank you. Plus three to that experience, I would say. Um, I think that's changed for, this is Ivy. I think that's changed over the years. Um, maybe in the, in the past five or 10, um, I've been approached by more different races and have dated more so outside of my race, but most of my, most of my similarly experiences have been with predominantly black men, um, a few white men. And then I've, I've dated lots of other, not lots, but a few men outside of the race. At one point I was, I was personally trying to do the rainbow coalition thing. Um, (laughs) just honestly, just, I, I find human beings fascinating. Um, and I just thought it was another way to get to know different human beings and just wanted the experience and, and, and thought it would be great. I, 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 I didn't date the entire coalition. I haven't dated that many people of diverse nature, but I would absolutely have been open to it. So yeah, I'm definitely, Oh, go ahead. I'm definitely open. Um, it just hasn't happened much. I mean, here and there, there's been a couple guys like on a dating app that might reach out, but it it hasn't gone anywhere, but I have been thinking I'm currently living in New York and I'm uh, making a move to LA. And I, from girlfriends I know that are in LA, um, that are also black, they've, you know, had different experiences a lot more. And so I wonder if being on the West coast, you know, that might change a little. 
Oh, that's interesting. So you're saying that some of your black girlfriends have been approached more on the West Coast by different people, like people of different backgrounds? I would say two out of like the four closest girlfriends I have in LA um, that are black, um, two of them like almost entirely date white men or or non-black men. Yeah. Huh. They're both biracial also, but um, yeah, same thing. Yeah, I would say that's reflective of my experience. I lived in New York for all of my 20s and the the white boyfriends I had, I got to know through work. But in terms of people actually approaching me or dating apps, it was pretty much only black men. Whereas in California, I feel like it does tend to, to run the gamut a little bit more in terms of uh, men, again, both in real life as well as on dating apps of all races approach me more here. That's really interesting. So Ivy, if you're still down for the Rainbow Federation, it sounds like you should come visit me in LA. Yeah, it sounds like it. I have more of an opportunity to see if I can (laughs) engage some of these different gentlemen from different cultures and background. Um, Okay, so next question is, um, I'm curious if you've ever had or what is a memorable negative experience when it comes to race and dating, sex relationships, that kind of thing. Um, And if you don't have one, if there's a memorable one that you remember from a girlfriend telling you about it, you can also share that. I guess I'll start again. This is Amber. Um, You know, I was trying to, and and I was kind of thinking about, about this podcast. I was trying to kind of remember, like, were there any kind of standout memorable experiences? And to be honest, I can't think of a lot, but I also feel like there's definitely something where when you experience a lot of microaggressions or kind of maybe not overt racism, you do tend to bury it a little bit. Um, and I think that's just kind of a psychological safety thing, you know, for your own mental health. Um, sometimes you, you maybe move on from it a a little bit. Um, so the, the experiences I've had have been more so kind of looks and stares. Um, I can't remember anybody saying anything directly to me. Um, but for example, even I remember I was walking down the, the street once with um, a friend who's, who's actually Latino, but he, he looks white if you don't, if you don't know him and, you know, you can't always tell obviously. And um, these uh, kind of young, young, um, I believe they I believe they were all white um, men were giving us very clear, nasty looks, assuming that we were a couple. And um, to the point where we crossed the street, we didn't want, we didn't feel comfortable walking directly by them. And we could tell that they were talking about us and, and looking at us. Um, I remember another time I was holding hands with with a white boyfriend in, in New York and we walk in, walked into a bar and the the host had this sort of look of surprise on his face. And this was probably like, 2010 so you know not not terribly long ago um and he kind of did a double take it was it was bizarre and of course you always kind of think could it be something else but it felt like it it was seeing a black woman and a a white man holding hands Um, but honestly those are those are the ones that kind of popped to the front of my mind I'm curious in those circumstances, like, did you debrief that experience with the person you were with at the time? Did you just like move on? Like, what was that like? Yeah. So in the, in the, in the first case, it was, um, my, my friend Carlos, who you, you know, Mel, and, uh, he's very, very interested in, in, you know, kind of race relations and justice and all that. So we had a pretty, pretty heavy conversation about that. And he's actually, he's actually married to, to a black woman. So he now experiences this on a very regular basis. And I think one of the things that was surprising to us was this, what this was in Long Beach. And I think it sounds like we're all fairly bi-coastal. You have different expectations depending on where you are, but I think of California as pretty liberal and we were both pretty surprised to have gotten that reaction. And like I said, we were walking side by side. We were friends. We were not doing anything romantic, um, but there was very clear judgment there. And he kind of highlighted it to me that like, you know, that's a, that's a big deal. We shouldn't have to experience that because I do, I do think that I tend to be a little bit more like, oh, well, maybe we misinterpreted, you know? Right. Yeah, of course. Um, and then with the second experience with my boyfriend, I didn't bring it up in the, in the bar. I brought it up later. I think I was a lot less comfortable 
I, I felt uncomfortable talking about that in public. And, and this guy and I definitely had some cultural differences as well. And I tended to see things that he wouldn't. And he hadn't even, he hadn't even really seen it. When I said it, he sort of was like, oh yeah, he did have a weird look on his face, but he just, he'd never, he'd never dated outside of his race before. And he, it was a surprise to him that, that, that I thought that that was the root of the reaction. Yeah, I was just wondering, I mean, in terms of, of feeling met, like I would, if I imagine being you in that circumstance, I don't feel met. Whereas with Carlos, I would feel met because it's like, yeah, was that, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's one of the things that for me, it can be difficult. And this is true. For example, when I went to Italy with my family, um, my, so meeting my white mother, grandmother and aunt, I felt really isolated at times because I would notice um, some stares and uh, even once it was actually a really fun experience, but this black American guy came up to me and was like, oh my God, another black person. I haven't seen anyone in so long. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yay. But then afterwards, my, uh, my, my family, I felt kind of awkward about it. Um, but what I was going to say is I would look around in Italy and I don't know if there was an uptick or something, but there was a lot of swastikas and like Nazi graffiti and, you know, granted this, it wasn't necessarily, you know, about black people or about me personally, but when I see anything that has to do with white power makes me kind of uncomfortable. And I just felt like my family wasn't even aware of it. It wasn't even on their radar. And, and that would be something that, that I have, that I felt similarly in in this type of conversation where, where you feel like you're actually perceiving the world differently than the, than the person you're with. And it's not from lack of caring. It just literally, they have a different lens through which they're seeing the world. Yeah, that makes me sad to hear that about feeling isolated. And I wonder, um, Nina, if you've had a similar experience, given your family background of feeling a little isolated, even with family, like, have you, have you experienced that? Um, I've experienced it, um, you know, now that we've sort of gotten to know each other a little bit more, um, you know, there's this feeling of sort of like, like you guys are still racist in some way. And I think we're all trying to get past that and and have gotten past it in many ways. We've been, we, I say we, meaning me and my siblings, but we've been um, sort of interacting with that side of the family for the last uh, 12 or 13 years now. Um, But, you know, there are certain comments. I think they're very careful not to make comments about um, black people, but they do make comments about other races. Like they'll make comments about Asian people or, you know, just like other people that, you know, I guess they think that that's not going to bother us. I also think, you know, and this is something that I would think about in dating too, is, um, you know, my sister, brother, and I all talked about like who in our family reached out to us when everything was happening with, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests, particularly my brother lives in Minneapolis. My sister and I live in New York and we're very, we live like right where all the protests were. And so like noticing who recognizes what was going on in the world and, and, and said something, I think we felt very isolated from them in that way. Um, so yeah. 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 It's, it, it feels like a, like a brave thing to be in touch with that side of the family. Like I, I would assume that was a big adjustment for you and your siblings to even consider being in touch with them given the history. Yeah. I just got this feeling like, I guess, yeah, 12 or 13 years ago. Um, which Jewish holiday is um, atonement? Is it Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur. Yeah. So I was speaking to a, a Jewish friend and we were talking about Yom Kippur and, and whatever and something about our conversation and atonement made me think about um, reaching out to them. And so I, I looked up my, my um, uncle and spoke to him and that kind of started the whole conversation. Um, wow, you were, the, you were the bridge. I was. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, well, since we're on you, do you want to also talk about your, do you have a memorable experience? Sure. You know, I don't have tons um, because I haven't dated a lot outside of my race, but the couple of things that I, that came to mind when I was thinking about this is um, on dating apps, I have noticed people who are disappointed that I'm black I I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but I've had guys um, approach me thinking that I'm Latin, thinking I'm Hispanic, and 
you know, they might reach out and they might speak a little Spanish or they might say something about sexy Latina or whatever. And, you know, I'll say that I'm not. And that seems to be disappointing to them. Like somehow that's like a sexier race to be. Um, wow. That's, that's that, happened to me a couple of times. What'd you say? I was just going to say, I'm sorry. That sucks. <laughs> so I, I think that's, you know, that's happened like, you know, just probably two times, but it's strange. Um, so it's something that's happened. Um, and then the other thing that came to mind, which isn't like specifically, which isn't me dating is, but something I do think about is like friends, white friends or non-black friends who like exclusively want to date black men. Um, and, or, or either, or the other way around, like, I'm not interested in dating black men who only are white men who only want to date black women. Mm. It feels like we're fetishized in that way. Um, but like, you know, and people speaking about like wanting to have biracial children because they're cute or whatever. Like, I just, I just don't like any of that. So I think that's the other thing that came to mind. Um, I've had several friends throughout the years that were, you know, white, mostly white or white or Hispanic and, and, um, or actually Asian too, that only wanted to date black men. And I, I, I thought that was a little off putting to me. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned that word fetishizing. Cause that's what I thought too, when you said that there were men that were disappointed or some version of that finding out that you weren't Latina. Like to me, I'm like, ew, that's something feels bad there about yeah. fetishizing. Like that they, they were sort of had this idea of, this thing. And then when it wasn't that thing, it was like, I don't really care who the human being is. Like, it doesn't feel good. Like to me, that's fetishization is like, I'm into this thing, but not really the person like who, who is this thing? It's like the the object that that to me is the fetishization is like, this becomes an object instead of a, a human being with feelings and, and love and grace and the whole, you know, the whole thing. Right. Yeah. I want someone to be interested in me and you know, that like my race and background and stuff kind of comes second to that or last actually. (laughs) For sure. Um, Ivy. Wow. Such a rich tapestry here. Um, so many places to go. Um, but to, to answer the question, I, I don't have a bad memory with any dates, um, or relationships that I've been in. I would say, there is a pervasive feeling or, or has been as a black woman of not being um, attractive enough for mainstream America in general, which would then spill over into the dating arena because non-black men would not necessarily find me attractive. It's not necessarily a horrific thing uh, because that kind of makes sense. Of course, your culture in, in most cultures, you find your own culture some of the most beautiful cultural, you know, in terms of looks and background and art and all of that, which makes perfect sense. But I would say in general, um, you know, I know in college and even after that, I worked in college, I went to a predominantly white college. And then after that, I worked in corporate America, which was very white male dominated. And you, you have this pervasive sense of not being attractive enough, like they're not attracted to you because you're less than not because you're and, and you're less than because you're black. And what kind of reinforced that negative thing was like, I would get on, you get on dating apps and you'll see like, if you got on match in particular, because they have a whole, you get to pick the checklist and I would just scroll through and look through and you would see men. Um, and in particular white men um, and some Latin men and stuff, like, Everybody picked every other race but black women. It was the least checked of all the boxes. To, to, to Nina's point, like everybody wanted a Latina because they were sexy or an Italian. Because they had this pervasive, but it was as if some cosmic message was like black women don't rise to that. And it was, you just have this pervasive, uh, not as something else kind of in the background whenever you're and especially if you're dating outside of the black community within the community um that can be a challenge if you encounter a lot of uh black men that only want to date outside of that because they have some issues with black women and there's a whole internal cultural conversation going on about that but um you know i would say that's the most negative thing and even for many, many years growing up, like every magazine of 
sexy, hot, attractive was not a black woman. I remember when Lupita made the cover, like how moved and touched I was. And she was like the most chocolate person I had ever seen on a magazine being hailed for her beauty. And I remember for me thinking how I don't know in my lifetime that I've ever seen any person of color being hailed as a spokesperson in that way for beauty in my lifetime and how remarkable it was. And so you grow up thinking you're not as pretty, sexy, hot, whatever, exotic, whatever, or you're objectified as or fetishized as something like, oh, you just have to have a black woman. And there's no just being appreciated for the beauty of your everything and everything that your culture has and stands for and offers. So, yeah, thank you for speaking to that. Cause I feel like the more I've been learning about white supremacy in terms of how it permeates everything in culture, it's easy to intellectualize it, but it's a personal experience. Like what you're talking about is your personal experience of, of that. Like when you were mm-hmm. talking, if it were me, I would feel just, I would just feel left out. I would just feel left out. And I'm, I appreciate you, you, you speaking to that because it feels like an important part of the conversation that it's not just an, uh, one single memorable experience that you're pointing to, but just an overall pervasive inculcated, like shimmer over the whole thing. I think I would add to that. Like that, I think you really hit it on the head when you said feeling left out. I remember like, we would, when I first moved to New York or the first few years I was here, we would go out, like my friends and I would, might go out down to um, like Stone Street, like financial district where, where kind of all the guys hang out after work and we would go to some of the bars and all that. And there'd be tons of guys there, mostly white. And we would talk about like, oh my gosh, this must be such an amazing experience if you're a white woman. Like, mm-hmm. cause like all these guys are going to be talking to you. Whereas that wouldn't be our experience. Yeah, we talk about that yeah. all the time and and the other piece of that is and, and I guess to, to flip to make, to make it even more personal it's an interesting thing because I in terms of being attractive I find white men attractive so it wasn't also just being left out the script isn't flipped it's like I'm not attractive or less than attractive or something's wrong or bad in it, like there's not something there, right? And that's this, that's also pervasive. You know, like you could be, even in the business world, you could be as smart as, um, I, I just saw a great video and I posted on my, my Facebook page. It was Lisa Nichols auditioning for a part in Bionic Woman and Charlie's Angels. And she like crushed the physical piece of it. She did a great job. She did the acting to the sound effects. And basically at the end, they, she didn't get the part and they were, she, she was told because what bionic woman or Charlie's angels look like you, like you just, it, it, it's very personal. You're not enough. It's like, oh, and she was like, I can do a lot of things, but I can't do blonde. So then you start to feel like I just have to do something different or more or better than, and then you grow up with this. I just got to do it better, faster, stronger, harder, whatever, because I'm not something and you get, you're never going to be that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like layered on top of, you know, cause what we're talking about is attractiveness. And I think in our culture, physical attractiveness, cause physical beauty is mm-hmm. so tied to femininity, the experience of femininity or being good enough as a woman, it, you know, it's like, it's in there. It's, it's a different sort of thing than like where our value comes from. Culturally speaking, feels a lot more tied to our looks than say the masculine experience where maybe their value is tied to something else. So it's, it's wrapped up in that. It's, it's like, it's, it's all one huge package that feels extra personal in some way. Amber, did you want yeah. to jump in on this? Did you have anything to add for this part? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of thoughts swirling through my head. One thing I do want to acknowledge is that um, b- before we started recording, we all came together on video. And uh, so so I haven't met Ivy and Nina, but I saw them and we're all light skinned or at least, you know, on the on the spectrum, you know, more towards light skin than, than darker skin. And so Ivy was mentioning Lupita. I also think 
we should acknowledge we've come a really long way in terms of beauty standards. But I know when I was growing up and when I was starting to date, you were not seeing anything, any dark skinned women. But even when you were seeing black women, there's sort of like exception to the rule types of beauties, you know, like Halle Berry. She's very petite. She's extremely feminine. And this is not in any way taking away from her beauty. I remember it being a big deal when Tyra Banks got the first Sports Illustrated cover. But if you look at Tyra Banks's body, she's she doesn't necessarily have what, what, what I would call a typical black woman's figure. First of all, she's a supermodel, so of course she doesn't. Um, but she's also obviously very thin, very narrow waist, you know, small waist and hips, small butt. Um, Mel and I grew up together. So I remember there's this picture and I've, and I've mentioned this to her before of us on the beach. And it must've been sort of like shortly after I was like starting to go through puberty. I remember that. Yeah. (laughs) And we always kind of, we looked somewhat similar. And then there's this one picture where my legs look like little drumsticks. I'd suddenly developed thighs. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, that's cute. Look Look at those thighs. But at the time I was horrified. I was so embarrassed that Mel's legs looked like little sticks like mine always had. And all of a sudden mine looked really different because that standard of beauty wasn't there. There was nowhere for me to look and see, even though I was only 12 years old, a body like mine. And so I think that part of what we're talking about is attraction, but it's also part of, yeah, what is held up as beauty? What is the norm? And it's also making me realize that what I perceive in men that approach me is is very affected by this. I'm remembering that in high school, there were a couple a couple boys of different races. I can, I can think of, um, uh, yeah, a, a Middle Eastern friend, a Latino friend that I, would, that I would find out later had a crush on me. But at the time I was like, no, they would never find me attractive because my my experience was that the norm was not to find me attractive, just as Nina was saying about, you know, going down to Stone Street, just as Ivy was saying about corporate America. There's this very different perception of um, the way men look at you when they think you're attractive versus when they don't. And for that to it to be the norm that you're that you're seen as not as attractive simply because your race is it, it's hard not to be very conscious of that. Yeah, thanks for speaking to that because there's the there's that added layer of like assuming assuming it and then maybe missing even when there is interest because it's like there's this experience that you've had over and over and over of feeling left out or or like well that's not possible that must not be happening that these that these boys would have a crush on me. Right. Absolutely. And then it goes to the exoticizing and fetishizing point as well. So how do you tell the difference between real interest and, you know, you being a token? Yeah. I'm, I'm curious if we, I, I have other questions, but if we could pause on that for a minute, like if there's uh, like, I would say based on the emails that I received, the majority of my audience is white men. And if there are white men listening that are interested in black women, how can they tell whether they're fetishizing or are genuinely interested in that? Like, do you have any, I'm not even sure what advice or like what your experience has been, because a few of you have mentioned dating white men, and I would assume you didn't date them because they were fetishizing you. You could tell that they were genuinely interested in who you were as a person. What, what was the difference? Yeah, I mean, I think in my case, and I don't know if this is my guard or theirs. Um, all three of the white boyfriends I've had, I I got to know significantly before we started dating. Um, so two were from work and one was um, a friend of friends. And so I had a really good picture of who they were and why they were attracted to me and why they wanted to date me. And, and frankly, they kind of had to convince me more so in the co-workers case because I at the time didn't feel it was appropriate to date folks at work. Um, but there was there wasn't, it wasn't like a, uh, a dating app scenario where I just had to kind of guess whether, whether they were, you know, coming from that viewpoint or not. I got to know them and felt that wasn't the case. Um, in one scenario, we actually talked about it pretty openly because he was from a province in Canada where there were very few black people growing up. I think he said like the first time he saw a black person, he was 13 or 14 years old. And, I had a really hard time getting past, like, I I just don't know if you can go from never having seen a black person to having a black girlfriend and it not be a real learning and growth experience. And I didn't know if I wanted to be kind of the teacher in that scenario. 
Um, yeah. So yeah. So to actually answer your question, I think one way is is actually taking the time and getting getting to know women of all races that you're interested in dating, not trying to jump in too deep. Um, but I think secondly, it's also for me, there's just such a big difference between being open to dating folks of other races and being open and talking about it, you know, saying, yeah, I I actually haven't dated anybody of this race before, but I'm, I'm attracted to you and, and I'm interested in getting to know you versus as Nino was talking about, like having an idea in your head of, I want to date this race. I think for me, that's, that's a real pretty clear, bright line. Mm, Right. So the openness to dating people of different races Versus like, I want to, I want to bang a Latina woman. Yeah. <laughs> the difference is the sort of energy behind it. Exactly. And I think you can tell also from looking at who they've dated in the past. So like if, if it's just a pattern um, or, if, or if you're just, you know, unique and they're just picking you for you. Got it. So if you, if you look at their past and they've only ever dated one variety, then that could be a sign of, of fetishizing. Yes. For me. Yeah. And I would say friends as well. When I, when I was on dating apps and I would look through pictures and every single person in all their pictures was white, I I wouldn't like, it wasn't like a a red flag where I would consider going out with them, but it felt like a, maybe a yellow flag. Like uh, how, how, you know, open to having a diverse relationship and friends are you if, you know, this is, this is who you've surrounded yourself with your whole life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I, I totally agree with that. I think like if I think about like dating men outside of my race, that that's something that's important to me is that they have some diversity in their friends, or even if that's not the case, that they are surrounding themselves with people who are not, you know, I don't know, racist, I guess. Like <laughs> um, not I to have, put sign a point on it. I have a friend who um is black and married to a white guy. And when they first started dating, like he had this super racist friend who would make a lot of like crazy jokes and statements in front of her. And I guess he was like, you know, sort of like, well, yeah, but he, they're not black like you, like that's different, you know? And it just was like awful. And that like, I couldn't date somebody if that's who they were friends with. Yeah. Ew. Not, not acceptable. That's not acceptable. I, this is actually a really good transition point to, to move into allyship. Um, because I have a question about, you know, in terms of, in terms of dating and specifically men making it safe for you as a black woman, you, I'm speaking to you individually because you can't speak for all black women. I'm not asking you to do that, but for you specifically in terms of of creating safety. I'm curious, do you feel, um, like, do you feel naturally safer? And I'm, I'm speaking kind of like emotionally safer with a black man because he can empathize with your experience in a way a white man cannot. Like, that's my question A. And question B is what, what, if you have had the experience of feeling safe with a white man around race, what has that, what, why? (laughs) Um, that's a tough one. I think, um, I think there is some feeling of safety of being around being with a black man, knowing that like he's going to understand, um, issues around race. Um, again, I haven't had much experience with, with non-black men, so I, I, I can't really speak to that as much, but it's something that I've heard black men say to me as well, that like black, black men who, who predominantly date black women, have said, you know, there's just a difference in being able to come home and have a conversation about something that happened in their day that's race related. Um, And there's a difference between um, dating someone black who can, you know, have a full conversation with it and and empathize and fully understand versus potentially having a conversation with somebody who um, might not get it, might, might try or might just say, you know, that sucks or something like that. But not be able to have the deeper conversation. So, I mean, I've had that conversation with other people. I think it's possible to have that with somebody who's not black, but it, it is, um, I guess it just comes a little bit more naturally. Um, and it feels a little bit more like guaranteed almost. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, I, I think it's, 
it's not just the, the shared experience, I guess. Um, it's also, uh, one of the things that happens in relationships is you have this, um, couple speak, what I call couple speak. And it's, it's, it's an us bubble of knowing where you don't, you can say very little and there's a shared understanding of that experience. And it's harder to get that when you're dating, um, you know, across cultures or anything, you know, religions, background, anything, because people just don't have the reference point. And race, race makes it particularly sensitive, um, at least in the U.S., um, because that's, you know, top of mind. And there's so many shared experiences that we have as Black women and Black men around this particular issue. So it does make you feel safer in terms of having that emotional experience, because, who better to understand that this was my experience around this than someone who has similar experiences on a day-to-day basis as you do, because that's just our background. It's just, it's part of being in this particular culture. I think the men that I've dated that have made me feel safe have been, I guess, empathetic, interested, uh, attempted to get it, understood that they didn't get it. and really try to have diversity among, um, within thought among their friends, uh, in lots of areas of their life. They weren't, you know, I, I don't think I'm trying to think it may have been, may have been one of the guys who was really like, but I don't even think that was true of him. Most of the, you know, the guys that I've dated had other friends in their life that were diverse and specifically other black friends. So it wasn't like I was dating uh, him in isolation where I was the only person of color, black person in his entire life. And, and, and he was genuine and it was just, I think I would just find that awkward because I would feel the same isolation. I feel when I go to work, when I walk in and I'm like the only person of color in a meeting um, or in the, you know, in, in a company or something like that. So yeah, I, I think it was just that they were, they had some level of diversity awareness um, and specifically around black people and black people in the United States. Um, they had some level of understanding and awareness around that issue so that they made me feel comfortable enough that I could talk about it, that we could have conversations about it. Or even if I would notice things that they wouldn't, they'd be like, I completely missed that and didn't catch that. Wow. So what's that like for you? Like interested, like what's that like for you? And what could we do different? Or even how can I support you? Or those conversations were happening. So I love that. Yeah. What I, what I hear in that is like actively making it safe instead of passively hoping it's safe. (laughs) Like I, you know, I acknowledge that I, I don't have this experience and I want to know what your experience is. I want this yeah. to be safe for you to talk about. I'm interested. I'm here. I'm listening, like, like kind of being engaging instead of kind of leaning back and, and just sort of like, Oh, I'm here. If you, if you want to talk about something, Nina, were you? Yeah, I, I, oh, go ahead. Ivy. No, I was going to say the final thought is that the other thing I noticed is I think that as individuals, they were curious about it on their own, having nothing specifically to do with me, which I appreciated. Like it wasn't just born out of their relationship with me. It was born out of their own sense of curiosity around justice. And this is how things are. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah no, I was just going to say, I liked what she was saying at the, what Ivy was saying a lot. And I think you know, if that was my experience, I, I, you know, I would definitely be even more open than I am. But yeah, I, I love what she was saying. That's all I was going to say. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I relate to, to what both of you said. I think for me, it's more about kind of openness to cultural differences and different experiences and backgrounds um, than race per se. But I think that especially in America, race and, and, and culture are so overlapping that sometimes it just feels like like more work and more effort when there, when there isn't a shared understanding. Um, but I've had that experience in both directions. For example, I had a boyfriend who was Black who would constantly kind of like devalue my experience as a Black woman because I'm mixed race. So he would say things like, there's no way that white people see you the same as they see me. 
and I agree with him. I think we're not necessarily seeing the same, both because of gender and because of skin color. But he would say it to the point where he, like, he would say, like, they don't see you as black. They don't. And, and that just hasn't been true in my experience. I've never met a white person that thought I was anything but black, even, even mixed race, or at least, or at least they haven't said it to me. At least they haven't expressed that. And so, and then I've also had white boyfriends where, actually not as much boyfriends, but friends who have sort of, um, yeah, just been, been closed to ideas outside of, outside of their own experience. Um, so for example, in grad school, I remember having a conversation about white privilege. Um, and there was a white woman who was gay and she had such a hard time believing that that white privilege could have sort of benefited her her in any way because she felt like she'd experienced so much homophobia that it sort of outweighed it. And therefore she undermined my experience as a black woman because she felt she just, she just felt like there was, there was no way that, um, that the black experience was worse than the gay experience. And it's just, I, I think for me, that openness and understanding and talking about things in a way of like, hey, my experience may be different from yours and let's talk about that. That to me is more important in a relationship than, than anything else in terms of like where you, it's not as much about where you come from, but your openness to, to learning about where other folks come from. Yeah, what I heard in that was, like genuine curiosity instead of sort of negating your experience. Like the, you know, the black boyfriend you mentioned was sort of telling you, well, this is your, you know, they see you as white when you're like, that's not, that's not been my experience. And instead of being curious, kind of like assuming that, that, that the person that they know. Exactly. And I think that's true for politics as well. Like, Yes, you can have your own political opinion, but you're if you're not willing to discuss it in an open and honest way, that's hard. Preach. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we're like in a season of we're coming up <laughs> to who else is dreading this next like few months. I don't know if it's just me, but <laughs> yeah. Ugh, yeah. I'm dreading it. <laughs> um, I think the key across the board, um, is openness. I mean, because I, I actually agree, you know, with what Amber was saying, even, even with dating black men, I mean, it's something that I'm not, that doesn't work for me, no matter what someone's race is, like not being open to different experiences, different cultures. You know, you can see that sometimes with, with their friends, you can see it with like conversations, you can see it with travel. Um, but yeah, across the board, it's not something that works for me. Just openness is so key. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. I have had experiences where I've dated, not been in serious relationships with black men who are only around black people either. And obviously I don't mean like corporate America per se, but their family, their friends, they've never really had a close friend outside of their race. And the same thing goes for me. That's difficult for me. I I definitely feel like if, if you're going to be dating, you know, folks outside of your, which I do consider myself mixed race. So if you're going to be dating a mixed race person and you have absolutely no interaction and, and affinity for white people, that's going to be difficult for me as well. Yeah, I feel the same. And my, my family background is more kind of a swirl, although predominantly black, but we have a few interracial marriages um, and, you know, lots of interracial children who are growing up to date other interracial people and, or, or biracial or outside of their race. And so you'd have to be comfortable being in a pool of diverse people where you could go in and see, you know, anything in, at, a, at a family gathering and not be uncomfortable with that. I, I personally find any homogenized community is makes typically makes me personally feel uncomfortable because I either feel like uh, I feel like a fish out of water either way. Um, because I find that most of the time, you know, that, uh, homogeny, you know, breeds this sort of lack of curiosity. And I, by, by nature as a human being, I'm very curious about other cultures, other human beings on the planet. I just find that fascinating. So to be in a place where somebody, even if they were of my race, they're just not interested in those kinds of topics or people or adventures or experiences or food. Um, yeah, I I don't feel included there either. And even if they are the same, you know, race as me or even gender. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to that. I, um, 
was raised on St. Thomas and Oahu. Um, and when I met my parents weren't together. And so I visited my dad in the summertime. And I remember once going to Martha's Vineyard and I was there for like a day and I kept feeling weird and I was trying to figure out why I felt weird. And then I was like, Oh, because every single person is white. Like I haven't seen a non-white person. And it was, it was a weird experience to be like, why does this feel strange? And then to put my finger on that, cause that wasn't my experience growing up. And it, it, I, yeah, it wasn't something I could say nothing was wrong. Nothing happened, but it was just like, it just felt a little, it just felt a little weird. So what you said about, um, homogenous places made me think of that where it was just a little bit, like a little bit eerie was my experience. Well, you should totally go back to Martha's Vineyard now. I just went last week and it, there's a lot of diversity there. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> I was 10. That's good to know. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. Um, so we're going to start to wrap up here. And I'm just wondering if you, um, I'm just curious to hear if you have any personal takeaways from this discussion and anything that you'd like to leave the audience with. I think, um, I think for me, this is, first of all, I, I think it's always interesting how when you're in a relationship for a certain amount of time, dating starts to feel so far away for you, for you. And we're obviously also in an incredibly bizarre time in terms of um, dating and being single while we're sheltering and dealing with a pandemic. Um, but what I would say is that I think I think that white men shouldn't be afraid <laughs> to date outside of their race and to, to date women of other races. I think that just like anything, there's a certain amount of work you should put in before you're there. So just like you should work on, for example, your self-confidence um, before you put yourself out in the dating pool so you can approach people in a, you know, in a strong and masculine way. I think you should definitely, especially right now, be aware of what's going on. You should do your anti-racism work. Um, but other than that, there shouldn't be a barrier if, you, if you're open to it and if you want it. If you don't, that's totally fine. Um, but I don't think there should be a barrier or fear. I think we're certainly open to it. Again, by we, I mean the three of us on this call. And I know plenty of other Black women that, that are as well. Um, so yeah, just, you know, go out there and, and, and try it. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I've, um, it was a pleasure being on here and chatting with you ladies and, and meeting with you ladies. We're we definitely feel like we're an open, loving, you know, bunch. Um, so yeah, I would encourage, you know, white men to, to approach us with exactly that openness and, and love from a place of curiosity, but also self-awareness. I, I think a lot of what our community has experienced in this recent round of civil unrest is people coming, not being aware of their own um, whether it's bias or lack of education or lack of insight or whatever, they're, they're coming to the table not aware of what they don't know about themselves. And that is really, really challenging if you're dating outside of your race. And in particular, Black women at this, at this particular time in history, um, it's, it's great if you can be willing to be open to learn something about another culture and to learn something about yourself, maybe things you didn't know, maybe biases you weren't aware, blind spots you're not aware that you have. And approaching that with a level of, of curiosity and love and, and openness um, to the experiences, to what you might learn about uh, another group of people, about your lady, and certainly about yourself, I think goes a long way to bridging the gap um, in dating interracial. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, I don't, I don't think I have much to add. I just, I completely second everything that was just said. And, um, yeah, it was lovely talking to you all. And, um, yeah, I, I think we are open and I think, I wonder, you know, I was sitting here wondering if, you know, you know, we've talked about our feeling of do white men or non-black men not find us as attractive, but I'm wondering, you know, are they concerned that we're not interested or something like that on the other side? Um, so, you know, I guess this just all goes to say that we are and, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for speaking to that. I've definitely talked to a few men that are like, Oh, I'm not sure. 
that a black woman would be into me. So I would be less likely to approach her. And I thought that was interesting. Like, um, I, you know, I'm doing my anti-racism work. And one of the things that's really struck me is I'm, I read white fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And one of the things she talks about is the kind of good, bad dichotomy of like trying to be a good person and therefore thinking of myself as not racist and doing everything I can to be put in this category of like, I'm not a racist versus me saying I grew up in America and I'm white. So I've got some racist programming. It's just, it's there and I'm going to work to excavate it, which is less like black and white. I not pun, not intended. (laughs) Um, but that's a thing that I think is sometimes preventing, preventing people from approaching in any direction is sort of like, well, like, will I be perceived as fill in the blank, some version of that because I do it wrong or I say something wrong or, you know, there's, there's that sense of like, what if I fuck it up? And to me, what I think I'm one of the ways I think I'm growing in this work is like, oh, I'm going to fuck it up. Like it's like my perfectionism isn't going to work here. Like I'm going to need to be a little resilient and be like, yeah, I'm going to get some things wrong. And that's going to, it's, it's an inevitability. It's not like it might happen. It's like, it will happen. It's going to happen. And I'm going to, you know, do it again. And, you know, it reminds me a bit of like, you know, men learning to support women in terms of of that, that frame of like, yeah, there's probably some things that you're going to fuck up. And I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm happy that you're, you're doing that work. You know, I want you to be, to feel welcome in that and be an ally because it's really important. And um, anyway, I just, I kind of wanted to name that because I do think that that's part of the discussion in terms of, uh, you know, safety and willingness and openness and all of that is like the willingness to get it wrong sometimes and be, be affected by that. And then, and then move forward from there instead of trying to avoid any perception of being wrong and, and like playing it safe. Yeah, that's, that's really a great point, Mel. I, I think it's the willingness to be in the conversation and by be, I mean, fully present, like really looking like at all the ways that you've, you've actually been an ally and at all the ways that you've got some blind spots you didn't even, you weren't even aware of. It's that willingness to be in the conversation that really makes a difference because nobody gets it perfect. Um, nobody, uh, we're we're not all walking around here as, you know, perfection zombies around here. Everybody does the best they can where they are in the moment. The, The big question is, are you willing to be in the conversation to do better tomorrow than where you were today, you know, to be more engaged, to be more open, to be more loving, to hear somebody differently than the way you heard them yesterday. And I think that's really the, the main thing. Um, to try to do that. I mean, and Rome certainly wasn't built overnight. I don't think we're going to deprogram people, you know, overnight, but just being willing to be in a conversation with a black woman um, that you're interested in and hearing her out and not trying to defend or deflect or say it's not true or wherever we like to go. Cause these are really, it's really tough to, to have some of these conversations. I think just goes so much further towards individual and collective healing, um, than anything else. Absolutely. And, uh, perfection zombies was such a great phrase. I just wanted to pull that out from what you said. (laughs) That could be be our next series. After we watch humans, we watch perfection zombies. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very real thing. That was a great one as well. (laughs) I also want to just acknowledge Mel that I think that one of the things, one of the ways to address this is exactly what you did at the beginning of the show, just like naming it and calling it out. And saying like, hey, I don't know everything. I want to be corrected. For me, that's true in, in most things. But I think especially in areas like this where there, there is just this huge sense of what if I get it wrong? As you said, what if I fuck it up? And so just saying that straight up, like I, I could see myself doing that as well. So my last two boyfriends have been black and they've been years long. So I could see if I were in the dating pool again saying like, God, it's weird. I haven't dated outside of my race in a long time. Like, let's see how this goes. Like, I, I might fuck it up. Tell me if I do, you know? And yeah, I love that. I, I really, <laughs> I just, I think there's something, um, it feels like there's a huge opportunity here in our culture for collective awakening around race. And, and I, I wanted to do this episode in part because it is, it's cultural, but it's also personal. 
it's both. And it's really important, I think, um, to, to have these conversations and to kind of make it safe to talk about, because the more that we do learn and grow from each other on a personal level, the more we strengthen the whole web of the country and of the world. And I believe of humanity as a whole. Spot on. I think this is, you know, all these conversations are much needed and, and everyone, uh, and I've watched many, many, many of these, uh, um, just over the past several months that have been, I mean, gut wrenching on a personal level and absolutely touching and moving on a personal level. I mean, you really see people trying to love one another through it, trying to get it, trying to give it, trying to heal it. And yeah, this is a massive opportunity for us as human beings on the planet to really look at something and, and claim something different for ourselves and for our evolution and for our children. Oh my God, that was gorgeous. We have to end there. I mean, that was just perfect. (laughs) That wraps up another episode of Dear Men. Thank you for listening. If you want to join the Big Sexy Dataset, the community of people who regularly respond to the surveys that we talk about on this podcast, just email us at that address, dearmenpodcast at gmail.com, and we will set you up. Have a sexy day.